You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. If you're not testing your employees and helping them to learn, then by golly, the crooks surely are. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me, as always, is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hello, Dave. As always, we've got some interesting stories to share, and later in the show, we welcome Carol Terrio. She's co-host of the Smashing Security podcast, excited to have her join us. She's got a fascinating interview with Paul Ducklin. He's a senior technologist at Sophos. And we're back. We've got some uh, fun stories to share this week. Joe, you're up first. What do you got for us? Well, this week, Dave, I received an email from our security department at work, and they were advising all the people at the university of a new scam that's kind of growing and becoming more prevalent. Hmm. And actually, I did a little research on it and found out that there was a great story from WTTG here in D.C., and they had a woman who received a phone call that said, we have your daughter, and if you hang up, we're going to kill her. So it's a particularly gruesome phone scam where they are trying to exact a ransom out of people by calling them. And they have enough information to do this, Hmm. right? There's even a a person screaming in the background that sounds like a child. Uh, uh, Yeah, it's it's awful. Absolutely awful. So imagine you're minding your own business, caring about your day, Mm -hmm. and they know you have a child. Right. They know the kid's name, I suppose. They, They do. And then they demand a ransom, and the rest of the scam is pretty self-evident. Right. Right. But that, that idea of having uh, the sound of a screaming child in the background, boy, right. that yeah, pushes it, all your buttons. It does. It's, it's, it's horrible. It is. It's horrible, but it's a well-designed social engineering scam. Wow. I have a word I like, Dave, mm. and that word is confluence. Okay. Literally, it means the joining of two rivers, mm. right? But metaphorically, it means kind of the coming together of two ideas. And last week, we learned about an absolutely massive data breach from the fine folks over at Exaxis. Okay. <laughs> and fine is in air quotes there. <laughs> Basically, the personal information of every adult in the U.S. has been available for the downloading on an open server. So and this is what we, there's one of those classic, we hear a lot about unprotected AWS servers. Correct, yeah. People forget to set the security settings correctly. The researcher who found this just found it with a Shodan search. Mm-hmm. which is a search engine that, that lets you find these kind of things and other things as well. But this data is nothing as innocuous as credit card numbers or bank account information, right? Th- that information can all be changed. This is stuff about who you are. It's real data about you. It's it's what you like, what you dislike, how many kids you have, how old they are, what their genders are, your religious beliefs, your sexual preferences. This is the kind of data that was in that. When I say sexual preference, you know, whether you're gay or straight. Right. Like they, they know this be- based on your browsing behavior. And so this is marketing data that mostly that they've gathered. Yeah, it's but it's they have amassed a vast amount of it. And it's stuff that's not likely to change about you. They're, they're hard facts. Right. Now, imagine what phone scammers can do with this kind of information and the morals that they demonstrate. Right, right. So if they get a hold of this data, which I'm sure somebody has gotten a hold of this data because th- this researcher was probably not the first person to find that database on the Shodan search. Yeah. So it's probably out there. I don't know 
how I would advise people to protect themselves against this. <laughs> it's yeah, just ha- yeah, have your guard up. The reporting on this story, it sounds like they have data for just about everybody. Yeah, they pretty do. much every adult in the United States. They're saying that it's more likely than not right that, that you're in have- this that you're in this breach mm. if you're a U.S. citizen. Right, right. right. So I, I just think that this paired with, you know, the phone scam, I just, this is just data that makes phone scamming people easier. Right. Uh, a lot of people are worried that it's going to be leading to identity theft. And I think that's right. It probably will lead to more identity theft and everybody should always be vigilant with your identity and you know monitor your credit and all that stuff. But now this is going to be something that's going to make social engineering a lot easier for people. Because now if I have this data, I know a lot more about you. I know what your triggers are, you know, maybe I can even blackmail you with some of this information. Right. I mean, if you go back to the Ashley Madison breach, Mm -hmm. if you were able to cross-reference the breach from Ashley Madison with the breach from OPM, where everybody's clearance information was leaked, then you could have a list of highly exploitable resources in that. Well, and and I I seem to recall that there was at least one suicide after the Ashley Madison breach. Uh, Yeah, I I remember that as well. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, it is horrible. Mm. All right. Well, uh, I guess the lesson here is that uh, keep in mind that if someone's calling you and they have specific information, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are who they say they are. They, That's correct. There are other ways for them to get this uh, specific information uh, and they can use it to fool you. Right. Mm. All right. Well, my story is a little lighter than yours. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I had to go. My story is very heavy and well, dark. It's, uh, it's probably it's hard for my story to not be lighter than that. <laughs> yeah. uh, kidnapping. But this is actually another true story of social engineering from my own life. Okay. So back in the early 2000s, I worked at a tech company and we had a receptionist who answered the phones and she greeted people who came by the office. Now, if you think back to this time, there was an endless barrage of salespeople who would either call or stop by, and they were hoping to sell you one thing or another. And at the time, some of the popular things they would sell were photocopier services, Mm -hmm. toner cartridges, long-distance telephone services. It's hard for our younger listeners to uh, imagine that there was a time when you had to pay for a phone call based on how far away the other person was. But this is <laughs> this is the reality. This is, this is the nightmare in which we lived, right? right. Um, they would try to sell you high-speed internet and, and office supplies, things like that. So our receptionist was really frustrated because she was spending a lot of time with these people. And they'd be these salespeople who would not take no for an answer, right? Pests. So they were pesky. They would try to keep her on the phone because, you know, the longer you keep someone on the phone, the more likely they are to engage with you. And so she was just at the end of her rope. So here's what we did. We created a fake employee persona and we named him Juan Gonzalez. Juan Gonzalez. We created a voicemail box for him. We created an email account. We even printed up business cards for Juan. <laughs> so now when a salesperson called, The receptionist could simply say, ah, yes, let me connect you to Juan. He's in charge of those things. And if a salesperson came in the office, she could hand them his business card and she could say, oh, my gosh, you just missed Juan. He's the person you want to talk to. Here's his business card with his contact information. And so the salesperson is very excited. They think they've got a hot lead, right? They leave the office thinking this is great. I can go back to my boss and say, well, look, I I gathered some leads today. (laughs) Now, as part of this, I created an outgoing voicemail message. Right. And it sounded something a little bit like this. Hello, this is Juan Gonzalez. I am truly sorry that I'm not here to take your call. 
I am responsible for the purchase of photocopier services, toner cartridges, long-distance telephone service, high-speed internet, and office supplies. Please leave your name and number, and I will call you back as soon as possible. Thank you for calling, and have a good day, my friend. <laughs> it's like Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's... <laughs> That is who I was trying to channel. Now, in, ret- <laughs> in retrospect, I will acknowledge that perhaps it was a bit culturally <laughs> insensitive of me, but... Revenge is a dish, dish, best served right. cold. But <laughs> it was intentional. Now, part of what we were doing here was I wanted to make the message a bit over the top. So if a smart salesperson got passed on to this voicemail, they would probably know what was going on. Right. Right. They would know we were fooling them and they would go, okay, and they'd move on. So here's an interesting side note about this, right? It took about three months before Juan started getting mail. Ah. (laughs) Right? Catalogs and flyers started showing up. And it struck one of our people that one day the IRS might show up Ah. (laughs) and ask us us about this employee we'd never filed any tax information for. Uh, But (laughs) fortunately... That never happened. Yeah, I, I don't think that the uh, the IRS is a real concern there. <laughs> I mean, if, if an IRS agent just shows up, you tell them the truth. You yeah. tell them Juan's not real. Right. He's just someplace we send. He's the black hole that we send uh, send salespeople to. Right. So the social engineering aspect of this, you know, this was, I, I, I guess you'd say it was misdirection. Yes, it, we absolutely. Were, and it was for a good cause. So right. we were saving our receptionist from, because really we're just passing these people on. Right. We're saving her from having to deal with them. They think they're dealing with, you know, they they think it's great. They're getting a lead. They're leaving a message, saving everyone from having to deal with pesky sales people. We've known each other for a while now. Yeah. So, you know, that early in my life, I had a failed sales career. (laughs) Yes. yes. So I was the guy that would leave a message for Juan. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why my sales career was a failure. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) So, again, a a true story, something uh, something from long ago. But I still actually have one of Juan's business cards. Cards. Awesome. That's, yeah. That is a wonderful story. All right, Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. What do you have for us this week? This week, we get an email from Ron in Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. One of our listeners. One of our listeners who sent us a catch of the day, and he was talking about selling his car. Mm-hmm. And he has a, a 2015 Ford F-150, so I guess it's a truck. Yeah. And he decided to sell it as a private seller. Right. And he listed on uh, Craigslist. Right. And after he's listed the truck, he gets a text from somebody with an area code from St. Louis. It's a it's a six three six area code. Yeah. And he thinks this is odd because his truck is listed in Dayton, Ohio. Mm. But his cell phone number starts with three one four, which is a cool area code to have. But it's from St. Louis as well. So his cell phone is a, has a St. Louis area code and he's getting a text from a St. Louis area code. Mm, interesting even though the truck is in Dayton. So that kind of sets up a red flag and he's a little more alert. Mm -hmm. And then he sends along the conversation that these two have. So you play the person texting Ron. All right. And I will play Ron. All right, here we go. Hi, sorry I lost service. Is your car listed on CL still available? Yes. It looks great, but I have a few questions. What is the price for your 2015 Ford? $21,250. One more thing. Do you mind if I see a copy of your car's history report? You can get it from getyourvinchecked.com. If so, send it to me at email address at yahoo.com if you can. 
Hey, don't mean to bother, but are you still here? So going to pass on the VIN report. Hmm. After you've got the report, and we can make a time to meet up. Awesome. Look forward to seeing the report. Smiley face. I've been thinking about getting a 2015 Ford for a little bit now. Not getting a warm fuzzy about giving my info to this site. Seems like this is a scam. Sorry. FYI, I'm a cybersecurity professional. Please do not contact me again. Mm-hmm. So it strikes me as being interesting, this whole thing with the area codes, because I think a lot of times these bad guys, they have an automated way to go through and scrape these ads from things like Craigslist. Yeah. And then they have a neighbor number scheme where mm. they call you from a similar number. I got one of these calls the other day, somebody calling from some service and the first six digits of their phone number are my area code in the exchange. Oh, interesting. So it's easy to do using voice over IP or, or just get yourself a, a Google voice number and start sending text with it. So. Yeah. Now, there was another interesting part of this, though, that Ron, who sent this in, he went down the path a little bit. He said originally he was checking all this on his phone, uh, which, of yep. course, makes it harder to check things like the that's, links. That's right. So he went back to his Mac. And what happened there? And there he realizes that the website for the report service is HTTP and not HTTPS. And, and this is where him. they want him to pay for. Right. Mm. And he's not comfortable entering his credit card information. And that's what finally triggers him to conclude that this is a scam. Right. And he terminates the relationship immediately. That's the final straw right. that they are asking for his credit card information on an unsecured site. Yep. And a red flag here for me would have been, I want your vehicle history report. Go to this site and get me one. Mm -hmm. So if I'm selling my car, the very first thing I'm going to do is generate a vehicle history report. And I'm going to have a PDF of that from something like Carfax or something, something that everybody's heard of. Right. And when they ask me for it, I'm going to go, here's the vehicle history report. You are free to look it up in any service that you want to look it up in. But I have provided you with what I think is due diligence. Right. Right. So the fact that they were channeling him to a specific site that right. uh, could have been a scam or could have been a legit site that was being man in the middle. Could be. Hard to know, but good for Ron. He did not get fooled. And uh, thanks to him for sending this in to us. Ron is a CISSP, so I would expect no less from Ron. He is also retired Marine Corps, so Semper Fi, Ron. Yes. Thank you for your service, Ron. All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. Coming up next, we've got Carol Terrio and her conversation with Paul Ducklin. All right, Joe, we're back. And uh, this week, we are excited to have Carol Terrio. She's from the Smashing Security podcast. She's joining us as a contributor to our Hacking Human show here. Here's Carol. Dave, I'm fascinated by how scammers go about fooling a victim into giving something away for nothing. It's like the art of digitally deceiving someone is on the rise. And let's face it, I don't want to be conned. I don't think anyone wants to be conned. I guess if we can figure out how these guys operate, we'll glean a few tips on how we can spot and sidestep these nasty little communications. Now, we often hear about scams that target the individual user. So things like smishing or romance scams or 419 scams. But if a scammer needs to get into a company, what then? Do scammers actually resort to social engineering techniques in this scenario? So I thought a good place to start was to ask an expert. I got in touch with an old colleague of mine from my days at Naked Security, Paul Ducklin. I know Ms. Duck. Now, Duck, you know your onions when it comes to information security. I always learn something when I talk to you, so I hope you're not going to let me down today. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> hope to give some sage advice that will help protect individuals from themselves when they're at home, but also by the same token, in exactly the same way, stop them being easily misled at work 
that could cause the company to le- lose loads of money as well. Well, that's right. So, okay, let me paint a picture for you and let's see what you have to say about this. So let's say I'm a bad guy and for whatever reason, I want to break into company X's network. Is it likely that I would even think about employing social engineering tactics as part of my attack strategy? I think for the average cyber crook, maybe the vast majority of cyber crooks, it's not just likely that you'll consider it. That's where you'll start. Take the statistics that people will show you with a pinch of salt, but you'll hear anything from, you know, between 50 and 99% of attacks start with something that would traditionally be considered a fish. That my definition of a fish is it's an electronic message that persuades you to give away information that as soon as you've handed it out, you go, my goodness, I wish I hadn't done that. You get that really bad feeling in the bottom of your stomach. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have sent that SMS authentication code to somebody else. Right. Maybe I shouldn't have opened that attachment. Maybe I shouldn't have said, oh, yes, obviously you've changed the payment details for your account. I'll change the bank account number in some other customer's record. But is it likely that, say, Gary, who works in accounting, who really likes cats, might get an email from a scammer that has, you know, check out the cute pictures of kittens here, Gary? From what I've heard, not being an expert in lol cats, <laughs> cat videos don't require the person to be particularly cat fancier. <laughs> Apparently, they work with everybody all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the problem. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of jesting there, but there are those things that are considered universally funny and that 99% of the time when you get them from people you know or you know a bit or people who claim to be a friend of a friend, you click the link, you have a look, you go, ha, 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 apparently no harm done. Yeah. And the problem is that so much of our digital lives are understandably having a little bit of fun, swapping pictures. Hey, check this link. When you rickroll somebody, not that that's ever happened to you, of course. <laughs> Um, except by me. Uh, you know, you send a link, they click it, there's Rick Astley singing, and you kind of think, ha, ha, ha. But at the end of the day, what else could have been at the end of the link? Having said that, although lolcats might work for the vast majority of people on the internet, regardless of their interests, if you want to then focus in and make it sound as though you've got some common bond with the person, either you can just chat to them a bit, like a good old face-to-face con man would have done and just learn about them and show an interest. Yeah. Or these days, even easier, go and look on their Facebook page, go and see what they tweet about, go and check them out on Pinterest, Instagram, etc., etc. And you'll get a good idea of what turns them on. And is the whole point for them to click a link so that something might get installed on the computer or for them to deliver some information? And it's always different, right? So it's not like you can always tell people, look out for this kind of attack. Yes, I think there's a bit of a problem with modern day phishing in that people imagine that phishing is kind of like it was five or 10 years ago, that there's always a standard format, that it's dear sir stroke madam, it's never dear Carole. Right. That they don't, that they're guessing at what your bank is, that they've got terrible spelling mistakes, that their grammar's rubbish, that it's obviously copied from somebody else's press release, and then the English language goes off the rails and the link looks weird and so forth. So you're kind of asking someone to rely on a sixth sense to see that stuff, yeah, though. If, if you see giveaway, so obvious telltale signs that makes the thing look like a fish, then assume that it is. But the scammers are getting cleverer. Instead of teaching themselves to write perfect English, they've just learned to use copy and paste more effectively. Take an exact mm. correspondence that exactly matches the tone of voice of a company or an individual and just use that as their message. 
<laughs> Tell you what, though, I've seen a lot of typos and grammar mistakes and actual official legit communications from companies in my time. Exactly. And that means that the telltales that people think, oh, it'll be absolutely obvious. I'll never get scammed because you can spot a fish 10 miles away. Mm. The point is that whilst most of the time you can... Unfortunately, if the crooks are targeting a company, not just you, then they only have to trick you or one of your immediate colleagues in, say, the accounts department to be able to persuade you to open an attachment that might give them a foothold with malware yeah. or to click a link that leaks some information about the company or just to reply with something like a password or a server name or a printer name or the name of their boss who happens to be on vacation and where they are. Just some little bit of information that the crooks can use again to phone the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. And each yeah. time they're that bit more plausible. And eventually they'll find someone who thinks, you know what, this guy could not possibly be an outsider. I'm going to guess then the one piece of advice you might have here is if you get into a situation where you've had an exchange with someone, and it's been a bit I don't know, you feel uneasy, maybe just tell someone because like you say, if they're going from employee to employee to try and get access to a system or to a computer, at least, you know, the IT team would be on guard knowing that something like that was going on if they had a heads up. Absolutely. If you have a 999 or a 911 email address, for example, inside a company, even if you're a small biz, if you've got something like security at your company.co.uk mm. or whatever it is, even if that address is only visible internally, if there's somewhere that people can just say, look, I got a call from somebody that I absolutely didn't believe that sounded absolutely rotten. That gives the person who's receiving those emails a chance to put a warning out. Oh, that's interesting. Because, you know, let's say the crooks are going to call 10 different people and they're hoping that they'll succeed with one. The chance that they call the right person first is only one in 10. So mm -hmm. if they call the wrong person first who spots this, don't leave the company in a position where they then can try the next person and the next person and the next person without some warning having gone out to say, look, it looks like somebody is literally and figuratively fishing for information here. And that's what a social engineer will do. They make things as believable as possible. They make you feel good about helping them. And they also, if they're smart, they make sure that they don't ask you to give out too much information at a time. Yeah, it's so smart. Yeah. Or you just think, oh, well, I probably shouldn't give you my boss's name and the fact that they're not in the office at the moment. But, well, maybe they could find that out from Facebook. Maybe they couldn't. Well, exactly. You know, make yeah. it harder for them. Don't help them along by giving them exactly the information that maybe they couldn't find out from another source. So that the bottom line is, if in doubt, don't give it out. Yeah. But listen, people would call me quite, you know, forthright in my style. I've had calls before, especially when I was starting off in my career, where someone was authoritative on the phone. They were just trying to sell us something or get information about the company so they could target people. But still, like sometimes you're really on the back foot because you're not expecting that type of call. And you tend to comply before your brain catches up and says, hey, what are you doing? Another good example of why it's hard to blame individuals for making mistakes that with hindsight are obvious is that frequently what the crooks are trying to do is to get one or more people inside a company to do the kind of things that they do day after day after day and sort of get into trouble if they don't because it's their job. For example, if you work in an HR department, part of your job, almost certainly, particularly in a medium or larger sized company, part of your job is will be receiving 
if you like, unsolicited job applications where people have just seen something on your website. They're sending you a CV, a resume. It's in a doc file. It's in a PDF file. You're opening it. You're having a look. No, this person isn't suitable. Put them on file. And Mm. there's a process that you're expected to go through. Mm -hmm. In the same way that if you're in accounts, you can't remember every single person who's offering to pay a bill or who's asking you to pay an account that's due. Exactly. You're just getting this flow of stuff and you're used to a particular style, probably quite a clipped jargon rich style by which accountants in two different companies communicate with one another. Here's the latest invoice. Oh, sorry, I haven't got that. Can you send this again, et cetera, et cetera. So this thing about, oh, don't open attachments if you're not exactly sure for who they're from. For many companies, that would pretty much run you out of business, wouldn't it? Because exactly. <laughs> because getting new business, you, you get that by responding to emails from people who've come to you saying... Unsolicited email, right. Hey, right. can you help me? I'm looking to spend some money. Yeah, yeah. And, and here's, here's a spreadsheet with a list of the parts that I'd like to order, all the services that I want. I have one last question for you, and I want you to put hand on heart. Do you think it's worth companies trying to train employees to spot these type of attacks? Or do you think it's maybe not the best resource or spend on money because there's so many different types of attacks? My answer is sort of half subjective, half objective, because, you know, I work for Sophos. We have a product called Fish Threat, which does exactly that. It helps you, if you like, train your staff by putting them to the test, by generating realistic looking but not legit emails. In other words, you, you deliberately put in some some things that they could have spotted and provided that you don't you know sack anybody who fails instantly and you treat the results with some compassion my theory about that kind of thing is that if you're not testing your employees and helping them to learn then by golly the crooks surely are yeah for me for example probably anywhere from one to 20 times a day i'm getting emails that are sometimes very obviously bogus but occasionally i go oh oh hang on no that's not somebody i know that's not an email i'm expecting i'm not going to open that if you're not showing your staff the kind of things that could happen and how they can help you defend against it then like i said the crooks are testing them any number of times a day i suppose they're sitting ducks in a way actually right <laughs> Duck, as always, fantastic interview. Thank you so, so much. Pleasure, Carol. All right. Our thanks to Carol Terrio and Paul Ducklin for uh, taking the time for us. Joe, what do you make of that? I like that interview a lot. My takeaway is I've said this before on this podcast is that the very first thing someone's going to try to do when they're trying to breach your organization is do reconnaissance. Hmm. And what Paul said is that the very first thing they're going to use to get that reconnaissance is their social engineering skills. So it's like the very starting point of an attack. And they're going to gather information incrementally. So it doesn't matter how small the information you give away is, it's useful to the attacker. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, and then along with that, the point that they make about how, you know, we, we tell people never click on things, don't open files. Well, that's just, that's simply not practical for a lot of basic business functions. That's right. And it, particularly he calls out the organizations like human resources, accounts receivable and accounts payable. Right. And these are all high value targets because they have something that's very, very valuable to attackers. They either have personal records or they have money. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, again, thanks to uh, Carol Terrio. Please check her out on the Smashing Security podcast. She's got a co-host there. I can't remember his name. Do you remember who the co-host Graham is? Graham Cooley. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Graham, Graham Cooley. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Cooley. Cooley. Did I say yeah. Cooley? I said- no, it's Cooley. Cooley. Yeah. yeah. Cooley. Good, good guy, I heard. I, yeah. No, well, anyway. <laughs> 
Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more about them at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.